Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. As Pastor Craig said, we do honor all of you today, and we certainly recognize that every woman in this room is in a different place when it comes to um, what it means to be a mother and how this day affects you. But I hope that no matter where you are, that you um, can have a reason to rejoice in the fact that God is good to you and he blesses you with the love of a natural mother or of a spiritual mother. Um, He's good to you in that way. Amen. And so husbands and well, there's no kids in here, but well, there's probably big kids in here, right? You've got a mama. You better have gotten her a present by now. If not, you need to go immediately after this gathering and get your mama a gift today, okay? Because listen, I know most moms are like, you don't need to get me anything. I don't want a gift. She's not telling you the truth. What she's saying is you need to come up with the gift. I'm not going to give you a clue. It needs to come out of your heart, right? Because even if she don't want one, she's earned one. And so get her a gift, right? And I always tell my kids, if you give me a treat like my favorite candy, I will not be sharing it with you today. (laughs) Don't ask. It is all mine, right? Because, man, mamas, we're bad about that. We just share everything. (laughs) But not today. Today, the treat is all yours. Eat the whole chocolate bar. Well, we are in a new series this month titled, In My Opinion, Breaking Free from Judgment. And in this series, we are aiming to learn how to judge biblically. If we are Christians, we judge differently than the world. And so we're learning how to judge from a biblical perspective. And as Pastor Chad preached last week, We are permitted to judge, though the world often says we're not supposed to. We are permitted to judge biblically, but oftentimes our understanding of judgment is wrong, and therefore we judge incorrectly. And by doing so, we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. And that's what the world rejects, and they should. And we don't want to be like the woman who looked out her window at her neighbor's laundry that was hanging on the clothesline. And daily she would tell her husband, looking out the window, man, that laundry is so dirty. She does not know how to wash her laundry. And this happened repeatedly. Every time she would see the clothes on the line, she would look out and say, why can she not wash her laundry well? until one day, finally, she looks out the window and exclaims, wow, her laundry is so clean today. She finally figured it out. And her husband replied to her, well, dear, I have the answer for you. You'll be interested to know that I got up early this morning and washed our windows. (laughs) So we don't want to be like that lady, right? See, unrighteous judgment turns us into a fool. But righteous judgment is the fruit of wisdom. And oftentimes, the world receives a judgment from us that is foolish and hurtful. And we want them to receive the fruit of wisdom, which is righteous judgment. We don't want to judge in an unbiblical manner. So today, obviously, it's Mother's Day. I will be primarily speaking to moms and dads, parents in the room. That doesn't mean that you're allowed to turn off your ears if you're not a parent in this room. I believe that God is faithful with his word to teach us something today. And the title of my message today is Righteous Judgment at Home. Let's pray. 
Father God, we welcome you today in this place, and we thank you that you have already begun to meet with us as we've worshiped you. We thank you for the anointing that's in this place. We thank you, Lord, for open hearts and open ears to hear from you. We thank you, God, for continuing to grow us into the likeness of Jesus, to grow us into conformity to your word, to make us vessels fit for your service, Lord, to make us the fragrance of Christ to a lost and dying world, to give off, Lord, the precious love of Jesus in an uncompromising manner to truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So being a mom or being a parent involves teaching and modeling. We teach with words, we impart knowledge, and we demonstrate what we teach with our actions. And this is so easily seen, especially when kids are little tots, right? You teach them something, you show them something. But even as they grow, you, conti you continue to teach and model. And if you're a Christian, meaning if you have repented of your sin and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you are born again. You're now a child of God. This means that you have a father, God the Father. And as a father, God teaches you with his word. The same way I as a mom teach with my words, God the Father teaches with his word. And as a father, God demonstrates to you how to live out the word that he imparts to you through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the demonstration of God's word to us. He's the example for our life as a believer. And so if you are a Christian, you have surrendered your right to live according to your own mind, your own will, and your own way. And we don't always like that, but it's the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. At the core of what it means to be a child of God, a Christian, is this reality that we have surrendered our own way of thinking to adopt his, we've surrendered our own will to adopt his, and we've surrendered our own way to follow in his way, living in obedience to the word of God. In John chapter 14 and 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he's going to be crucified, and there's a theme that he continues to speak to his disciples. In John 14 and 15, he says to them, if you love me, keep my commands. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Then in verses 23 and 24, he continues with the same theme. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, and anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Then in John 15, 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. And finally, in verse 15 of chapter, uh, verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So by receiving the gift of salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus, he has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness. He's brought you into the kingdom of his light, which means you're no longer your own. You now have a king who reigns over your life. And as in any kingdom, the word of the king is law. And the wonderful thing about the king that we serve is, number one, he's the king of kings. And in the kingdom of the son of God, his law is perfect. His law is righteous. It is pure. It is just. It is true. And that secures my heart, right? It gives me the assurance that if I will keep to his word, I can experience his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will for my life. 
I don't have to fear the word of the king. I rejoice in the word of the king because in that word is life. Amen? So if you're a Christian in this room, you've not only chosen for Christ to be your savior, you've chosen him to be your king. You've chosen to have his word to be the standard for your life. You've adopted a biblical worldview. You've adopted the Bible as the filter for your life. You've adopted the Bible as the means by which you will distinguish good from evil in this world. The word of God is now a compass for your life, giving you direction and guidance in life. The Bible is the standard for morality. It is the answer to life's most difficult and important questions. It is truth even when the world says it isn't. And as a Christian, you are to walk in accordance to God's word, whether the world agrees with it or not. It's what you've chosen if you've taken on Jesus as your king. This means if you're a Christian and you are a parent, you are a Christian parent. And there's a distinction, an important distinction in that. As a Christian parent, you are to teach and model to your children what it means to be a child of God, a follower of Jesus who obeys his words, doesn't just give lip service, but obeys the word of the king. As a Christian parent, your home is to be a place where the king is welcome to abide. The king is welcome to rule. By God's spirit, your home can be a place where your children can experience the kingdom of God, which is what? A kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Those should be the trademarks of a Christian home, that we walk in righteousness, maybe not perfectly, but it's our aim as we follow the king and he leads us. Our homes can be a place of peace, maybe not every day, and I guarantee you it's not going to be peaceful in every moment of the day, but man, my prayer as I lay my head down on my pillow, and my kids do too, is that they know that the Prince of Peace is abiding in our home, and they can rest in peace even after a chaotic day. This is good news for your children, to be raised in a home that honors the authority of God's word is a blessing. And listen, you have to communicate that to them. You can't be like, well, we're going to obey the word of God and you got to just do it. And it sounds terrible. No, communicate. It's a blessing to live on the, under the authority of God's word. It's a protection to be under the authority of the word of God in our home. It's a blessing to be raised where the presence of God is welcome. Amen? You need to communicate to them. You have an opportunity to leave behind whatever you faced at school today. And in this home, you get to experience the presence of God. He is here. Amen? To be raised in a home where God's word is taught and obeyed, it's a blessing. It brings favor. It brings protection. It brings security. It brings purpose. They need to know that. Say it with a smile on your face. We serve the Lord in the Craig household, and it's a blessing to do so. Amen? To be raised in a home where you're constantly reminded of God's goodness, of his mercy, of his forgiveness. It's a blessing to be raised in a home, listen, where you're reminded that God is the creator who makes no mistakes, and he created your child on purpose, with a purpose. It's a blessing, and it's something you need to communicate on a daily basis. You are a blessing in this home, and God is welcome to rule over your life, and the gift he gives you is righteousness, peace, and joy. As a Christian parent, never apologize for having God's word as the foundation for your home. Establishing in your children a Christian worldview 
is critical to your mission as a mom and dad. What does this have to do with judgment? A lot. See, while unbelievers accuse Christians of being mean and judgmental, and sometimes they're right, they also judge Christians. And like some Christians, they don't do it well. They do it in a hurtful manner. And so your children, if they're not already, they will be experiencing the judgment of the world. Their biblical worldview is going to be challenged. And sometimes as mamas, that's what freaks us out, right? Oh my gosh, when they step out of my house, you know, the world's, you know, just wanting, waiting to attack them, attack their little heart that loves Jesus at five years old. What happens when they're 15? They're going to be made fun of. They're going to be shamed for loving Jesus. Listen to the statistics. Less than one in 10 churched teenagers has a biblical worldview. That means that they don't hold the Bible as the standard for truth or morality. Everyone has a worldview. We seek to establish a biblical worldview. And one in 10 churched teenagers have surrendered the Bible as their standard for truth and morality. 40% of children from evangelical homes abandon faith by middle school. 45% of children from evangelical homes abandon the faith by high school. Kids are being labeled judgmental, hypocritical, and intolerant because they are Christian. And some kids are struggling to keep their faith because of the constant judgment of unbelievers. They're struggling to believe that God's word is authoritative because unbelievers deny them the right to disagree. They deny them the right to choose to believe the word of God over what everyone else around them says they must accept if they love Jesus, if they're really a Christian. They demand that if you love, it means you have to accept everything about me, even if it goes against the word of God. And listen, kids, I'm 41 years old. It's hard for me to submit to that kind of pressure on a daily basis. And I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. So you can imagine a middle schooler and a high schooler when they're constantly bombarded with judgment, how they're going to stand up against that. And so as a parent, one of the most important things that you can do for your children is to teach them how to handle the judgment of the world biblically and demonstrate to them righteous judgment in your home. Our children need to understand God's judgment of them. What does God say about them? How does God view them? They need to experience righteous judgment at home, and they need to be equipped to respond to the world's judgment. Every child needs to understand God's judgment of them. So you begin with the gospel, right? That Jesus came to take God's judgment for their sin upon himself. And because of Jesus, because of sin, they fall short of God's glory. But because of Jesus' gift, sin has been judged. And when they receive Christ, they receive the freedom from fear of eternal judgment. They no longer need to fear what God believes of them, what God judges about them. They know they have a security that they are a child of God, that in Christ they are redeemed, that in Christ they are received. And teaching them about their identity in Christ, God's acceptance of them, the assurance of his love for them is a necessary foundation to guard them from the fear of man. Because they will 
have a fear of what do my peers think of me? Every day they're being judged by their peers. And so what delivers them from the fear of that judgment, the fear of man, is their security and their identity in Jesus Christ. That because of Jesus, I am secure in the love of God. That because of Jesus, they have a purpose. They have a calling. They are chosen. They are gifted. And that security empowers them to walk free from the fear of man. Amen? When the world judges them, they can face that judgment with confidence in a God who has set them free from sin, eternal judgment, and has set them apart for the glory of God, for the purpose of God. Amen? So establishing in your home righteous judgment begins by you opening their eyes to understand, A, they're a sinner, but B, Jesus has judged sin. And when they come to Jesus and receive him, they can be set free from eternal judgment and from the fear of man. Amen? So in your home, do you judge your kids righteously? You know, my eldest, my oldest son, Caleb, when he was a little 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 tiny boy he was one of the most compliant kids you just Caleb go do this and he would just do it super super compliant and those were like the easy days right when they're just little and everything that you ask them to do they do and then as their will gets a little stronger right it becomes a little more difficult and mom and dad can seem like this mean judge who's just judging everything that they do, right? And passing judgment on every action, on every word. And we have to be careful in our homes to give our kids the right taste of what judgment looks like, okay? So we need to teach them the difference between a worldly judgment or unrighteous, and a righteous judgment. And we do that by establishing a culture in our homes of truth and grace. Okay? See, worldly judgment involves comparison, which oftentimes is rooted in pride. So I think I'm better than you. You can't judge me because I've not done what you've done. Comparison. That's what worldly judgment looks like. Well, you've done this, I've not done that, so you're worse off than I am, so don't come at me with your judgment. It involves comparison and then oftentimes punishment, right? Well, you did this to me, that was wrong, you deserve to be punished. That's what worldly judgment looks like. Biblical judgment, however, involves humility, and love, that's what Jesus says to us when he says, look at the, at, at the plank in your own eye first. Deal with that first. It's the ability to have humility in your judgment and, and saying to the person you're communicating to, I'm not saying I'm above you. I'm coming to you in humility, knowing I have my own need, my own issue, but I see in you a need for change. And so I come at you with humility and with love, not to punish. Worldly judgment focuses on punishment, but biblical judgment focuses on wanting to love and help that person in their life to be able to change. Amen? Worldly judgment is only looking to actions, looking to behaviors, but biblical judgment moves beyond that to see the issues of the heart. And so in your home, to establish a culture of truth means that you need to begin to look at God's word as the standard for the boundaries that you set in place for your children because they need boundaries. 
but your boundaries need to be biblically based if they're going to be humble, humbly expressed and lovingly expressed in your home. So we look to God's word as the standard for those boundaries, the standard for the way that we handle discipline in our home. And we look at his word for the, for the standard by which we praise our kids, affirm our kids, amen? God's word has an answer even for that. God's word can teach us how to discipline our kids in a righteous way. God's word can teach us how to praise them, affirm them, build them up. So we as parents look to God's word for those standards. What happens in your home when someone fails? Because guess what? Your kids are going to break the rules and they're going to fail. Are you only going to focus on pointing out the wrong behavior? Are you only going to focus on condemning the actions and giving consequences? I said not to do that. You did that. Now you got to pay the consequence. Are you condemning, giving consequences without ever offering mercy? When your kids do wrong, you need to demonstrate biblical judgment. You acknowledge the behavior, but you don't stop there. Now it's time to establish a culture of grace. Children need to be able to know that they can express their thoughts, and their feelings. They can say, it's not fair. <laughs> they can say, I don't want to do this. They can express their heart. They can express their thought. They need to be able to have honest communication, but they also need to be communicated God's truth when they're believing something that isn't in line with his word when they're believing a falsehood, you need to communicate truth and expose the lie that they are believing. In a culture of grace in your home, you can give space to discuss how their actions affect their relationship with God, how it affects their relationship with you as their parent, and how it affects their relationship with others in the home. A culture of grace gives space for that discussion, and it's necessary if they're going to receive a biblical and righteous judgment. In a culture of grace, you read the word together, and you allow that word to be applied to the situation, and you give space for there to be a discussion. Now, sometimes the discussion has to stop, and the child has to simply submit. But in a culture of grace, you give space for that. In a culture of grace, you remind them that God is forgiving, and you teach them to ask for forgiveness and offer forgiveness to others in the home. I had to do, I've had to do this multiple times in my own home. Teaching my kids to forgive means I have to forgive. Teaching my kids to forgive means I have to say to them, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? In a culture of grace, you pray with your kids, and you teach them to pray, and you teach them that the Holy Spirit gives power to overcome temptation. They need to be taught and modeled that. Kids don't know how to pray you get the opportunity to teach them how to pray, how to beseech the Holy Spirit for his power. In a culture of grace, your home should be a place where sin is, is exposed so that your children can take cover in the love of God. Not so that they can be condemned, but that they can come under the covering of the blood of Jesus. And in him, they can begin again. Amen? When your children respond in repentance, a culture of grace rejoices in that. 
A culture of grace celebrates when a child bears the fruit of that repentance. You make it a big deal. We often make a big deal of everything they do wrong, but we've got to have a culture of truth and grace where we affirm their right choices. We affirm their right attitudes and anything else that is praiseworthy. And in a culture of grace, we talk about our own failures as a mom. We talk to them about our own need of God's grace. We practice repentance. We practice forgiveness. We allow them to see that mom, when she fails, she runs to the cross. Mom, when she gets it wrong, she takes cover in the love of God. Amen? We've all failed our kids, and we probably will again. We've been harsh with our words. We've broken promises. We've hurt feelings. And you always have that one kid that's going to let you know, okay? I have one. She's going to let me know I hurt her feelings, okay? And so in those moments, a culture of grace quickly admits, I'm not a perfect mom and I need forgiveness. I'm not gonna give excuses. I'm I'm going to acknowledge that I've sinned against you, and together we're gonna take cover in the love of God, amen? In a culture of truth and grace, we make scripture common in our home. At times, parents can be reluctant to teach God's word at home, especially if they are going to church a lot, I had, a, I had a, a mom one time say to me, my kids are just like overchurched. They don't need to be involved in that because they're just like, they're overchurched. Which I was like, man, overchurched? Do you realize you're talking to a pastor's wife? Like, <laughs> your kids ain't overchurched, okay? It's okay. Anyway. We're reluctant sometimes to teach God's word at home because we don't want to come across as just shoving it down their throat. They're at church on Wednesday. They're at church on Sunday. They're at Connect Group. They're uh, VBS. Uh, uh. So we, we don't really talk about God's word at home because they get enough at church. One in 10 church teenagers don't hold a biblical worldview. Your kids are not going to be overchurched. And you're not going to be shoving scripture down their throat. You don't have to preach a sermon to them every day. But you can give them a taste of God's word every day. You do it through intentional moments of Bible reading and prayer. And you do it through actions that demonstrate the love of Jesus. Giving them affection. Giving them praise. Calling out the purpose of God in them every day. In Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, it says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Notice that the teaching of Scripture is a routine that you are to establish in your home. Your kids will listen to the same song 15 times, they'll watch the same YouTube video 75 times in one day. It's okay for you to sit down for a few minutes, open the word of God, and remind them who Jesus says they are. Amen? Anytime, anywhere is the opportunity to talk about God and his word. Anywhere, anytime is an opportunity to sing a song of praise and have a dance party in your car with your children. This is important because it plants truth in their heart and it equips them to discern truth as they grow in environments that constantly oppose truth. I'm going to say that again. Planting the truth of God's word in their heart is equipping them to discern truth when they are in an environment that opposes truth, okay? But listen, this takes you as a parent setting your mind on things above. God's presence, God's word cannot be an afterthought in your own life. 
So when you're having a, 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 a difficult time with your kid, take the opportunity to say, you know what, we need to stop and pray. Because mama don't know how to handle this. I'm, gonna, I'm about to handle it really wrong. So let's stop and pray. I asked my son the other day, I said, you know what, Caleb, you can pray for me. I don't always do this right. So pray for me. Ask the Holy Spirit to help your mom because I don't always know what I'm doing. So pray for me. And he kind of looked at me like, that's so weird. But you know what? I hope it set him free to know that if mom is not doing her job well, God can take care of mom. He can change my heart, and he can benefit from that. Amen? So a culture of grace and truth makes questioning permissible. God has an answer for every question your child comes up with. How many of you have the why kid at your home? But why? But why? But why? And as a mom, there comes a point where you're like, ask me why one more time. Okay? By allowing questions to be asked and giving biblical answers, we are consistently communicating to our kids that God is not offended when they have questions or when they have doubt. He welcomes them to ask him, and he is faithful to respond. Sometimes parents are reluctant to teach God's word in the home, and they're reluctant to allow kids to question God's word because they fear that it means they are rejecting truth. So they want to be like, whoa, 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 what? You think that this could be questioned, God's word? How dare you? And so they're like, we don't question God's word ever. But sometimes and oftentimes, they're not rejecting God's word. They're questioning because they want to know and understand God better. And that's a good thing. And so there's a balance there. Now, there's certainly times when your child can be questioning out of rebellion in their heart. And God is pricking their heart exposing sin, exposing selfishness, exposing pride. And so what are you going to do? Maybe what God's saying ain't right because I don't like how it feels because you as a parent have never done that in your own life, right? So the best thing to do is to continue to present biblical truth. In both situations, whether they're questioning to know or they're questioning to kind of rebel against God's word or not wanting to obey, in both situations, you are to communicate biblical truth and remind your children that the starting point for all questions is the Lord himself. He is always the place where you take cover. He is always the place where you go when you have doubt, when you have fear, Whatever it is, he is the first place you go to. 2 Timothy 3.16 says what? All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. In a culture of grace and truth, you need to be a consistent example A study conducted by LifeWay Research about why teens and young adults stay in church found that teens who at age 17 have parents that are authentic examples of Christian faith, meaning parents that are proactive and consistent in living out their faith, those teenagers are more likely to keep attending as young adults. Across the board, 20% more of young adults who stayed in church indicated that they had parents and family members who discussed spiritual things, gave them spiritual guidance, and prayed with them. Your kids want to know God's truth. Even if they don't say it, Their spirit wants to know the God who created them. They want to experience the God who created them. 
and your authentic example of faith helps to keep that desire, a fresh desire in their life day by day. Your consistency matters. You don't have to be the perfect example, but you can be a consistent one. You can be the parent that communicates your own need for Jesus and demonstrates a life of following him. A culture of grace and truth, in a culture of grace and truth in your home, you need to give your children a church community. According to the same research, only 10% of young adults who continued attending church did so to please others. This is important because it means that young adults whose faith truly became integrated into their life as teens are more likely to stay in church. Meaning young adults who stay, stay because they want to, because they see that it's important. It's not just a cultural norm. It's not just a, oh, my mom drugged me to church every Sunday. It is a want to in their life. But if church does not prove its value during the teen years, young adults will not come to church because they won't want to come to church. The research goes on to find that teens who had at least one adult from church make a significant time investment in their lives or more likely to attend church by a margin of 46 to 28%. Saying that adults that invested time in them personally and spiritually allowed them to have a desire to keep attending church. All of you in this room who are not parents to my kids, I need your help. For my kids, to keep their faith. You have a role to play in helping my kids to deepen their relationship with Jesus. This church, this community, needs to be an oasis for students, a place where they can leave behind the judgment of the unbelieving world that they face every day, and in this place find a community that receives them, that cares for them, that affirms God's value of them, that defends their faith, that instructs them in biblical truth, that exposes the lie of culture and calls out God's purpose in them. I need your help as a mom for my kids to deepen their relationship with Jesus. I need you to see God's purpose in my kids and call it out. I need you to echo what they hear from me at home. Amen? In a culture of grace and truth, we teach the biblical response to worldly judgment. In John chapter 8, we read the story, a beautiful story of Jesus. I'll read it here. When Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around and he sat to teach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, and when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. He stooped down and wrote on the ground again, and at this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. In this story, we see that Jesus confronts the way that the Pharisees are issuing judgment. We see that when Jesus is faced with a guilty sinner, he doesn't respond like the so-called righteous. Jesus does not deny this woman's sin. He does not seek to make an excuse for her life. He simply offers forgiveness and a new start. To those who stand in judgment, 
He exposes the error of their pride. And our kids are surrounded by sinners. And God wants us to equip them to show grace without compromising truth. To not point fingers of condemnation, but to point people to the cross of Jesus. And we can remind them that those who judge them are sinners in need of Christ. And they must always respond to sin and to judgment with the gospel. Amen? When people oppose our kids because of their faith, God wants us to equip them to give a defense. Children are hearing opposing voices that undermine the scripture at earlier and earlier ages. So part of the spiritual formation process in your home should be to give answers to common arguments against their faith and to give answers to the, and, and expose the deception behind the ideologies of the present culture. It's your responsibility to show them, to teach them, to give them the ability to make a defense for their faith. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says that we as believers are to be able to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that you have. Peter doesn't tell us that we have to convince anyone of what we believe, but we can be equipped to clearly communicate what we believe and why. And in your Spirit, and in the spiritual formation in your home, teaching kids the evidences of Christianity, the evidences of God's word, testing the ideas of culture against the word of God is so important to keep their faith grounded and rooted and to keep their place in a place, in, to give them the ability to not be thrown off by these opposing views. But you have to give them the opportunity to be able to ask the questions, and you as the parent need to be able to give an answer. Amen? Take the time to answer their biblical questions clearly and use life and the experience that you live in life to practice critical thinking to help them analyze what they're listening to, what they're, what they're seeing, what they're reading. How is their life and the things they are exposed to aligning with the truth of Scripture? Band, you can go ahead and come up. Listen. Ultimately, our aim if God has given us the gift of motherhood, sometimes that gift seems heavy. Sometimes that gift is exhausting. But that gift is so precious. We have an opportunity to raise children to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. Because above a good education, above the accomplishments at school, the accomplishments in sports, all the things that they enjoy, above the pursuit of that career, that dream, and you urging them on to pursue that, above all of it, their love for the Lord and their devotion to him is what will allow them to experience the blessed life. And as a mom, it's my greatest prayer for my kids, right? That they would fall in love with Jesus, that they would look up and see that he is beautiful. That they would be covered in the safety and the provision of a faithful and kind God. 
And so at times it's hard, it's challenging, but it's worth it. I will continue and I hope you will join me moms in continuing to speak biblical truth, to not compromise in what the word of God says about your children, to call out God's purpose in their life and to bring them to a place where they can bring all their fears, all their worries, all their anxieties, all their dreams, all their ambitions, all their joys to Jesus and find in him to be the beautiful Savior and the beautiful King. You know, in this room today, you might be saying, I did all this. My kids left home. They're not serving Jesus. So, Michelle, are you telling me today that I'm a failure? I failed as a mom. I failed as a dad. That's not what I'm saying. You did well to sow the seed of God's word in their lives. And you're not a failure. And God hasn't failed you either. You can continue to sow. You can continue to sow in tears if necessary. And we'll stand in agreement with you for God to bring those children back to Jesus. In your interactions, in your conversations with those children, stay consistent in pointing them to Jesus. You're not a failure. Maybe you're in this room and you're a mom that says, I've not done any of that. Am I a failure? No. Because by the grace and goodness of God, you can begin today to establish a culture of truth and grace in your home. You can begin today to turn your eyes and the eyes of your children upon Jesus. You can begin today to establish the word of God as the foundation for your home. And listen, none of anything that I shared today can I do in my own power, and neither can you. You need the power of God. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.